And First um, um, Samuel is right after the book of Judges. But then again, it's right after a short book of Ruth. And I tell you Judges because the bigger book, if you open it up, it's like, oh, there it is. Because Ruth is a really small book and you can just pass it up. It's like, where is that? And so um, it's past Judges, past Ruth, and then you will be in First Samuel and you can just sit there for a little bit. Because really quick, I kind of want to share with you, especially you regulars who are here, um, and, and, and for you who are familiar with Calvary chapels and know that usually we go, you know, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And uh, we were in the book of Romans all of last year. And um, I guess the natural progression would be that we would go into First Corinthians. Um, that would be the obvious choice. But as I was thinking and praying a few months ago um, about what we're going to do um, after Romans, um, I, I was kind of wondering how how can I make the break? Because right now we're in the, we're in you know going into Jude in a couple of weeks and then into Revelation, and I know that we'll be there for at least a year. I don't know. Uh, we're going to be in there for a little bit. <clears throat> but I'm thinking, how do I make the break into the OT, into the Old Testament? And as I was praying about it, <clears throat> I just thought that Thursday nights would be, would be better than Sunday mornings. And I thought, okay, Lord. So as I started praying, um, I, um, in my morning reading, I, I've been in the, New, in the Old Testament for most of last year. And I've come across, and I don't know how many times I've read First and Second Samuel, and I read First and Second Samuel this time as I'm reading through the Bible, and it just penetrated my heart big time. And I read it in a whole different way, and I was getting excited, and I thought, man, Lord, this would be an awesome book to teach. So, and then when I was kind of finishing up Romans, I'm thinking, Lord, where do you want me to go? Because I was thinking Habakkuk, and then I was talking to Mark Matthews, and he says, well, I kind of want to do Habakkuk when I'm done with Ruth. And it's like, okay, you get Habakkuk, and I'll pray some more. And the Lord led me to First Samuel. So now I'm directing you to First Samuel. To go there, and so here we are in First Samuel. Now I have to tell you guys all this stuff because I, I, I just do. I have to tell you guys what my little pea brain is thinking and why I go where I go because I want you to know where I'm at. But now being in this period with the nation of Israel, and I think it's kind of awesome because we're going to get to know the nation of Israel. And I hope if you haven't gotten to know the nation of Israel, you will get to know the nation of Israel. If you haven't gone into the OT and read the OT, then you really need to be in the Old Testament at times. There's so much, there's richness, there's nuggets in there. Understand the New Testament first and then go into the Old Testament and you will be blown away. But be that as it may, now we are in this period that we will be with the nation of Israel for a while. Ever since the time of Moses, the nation of Israel was ruled under a theocracy. Meaning that God was the one that ruled over them. And he used priests and Moses as a prophet to tell the people, to govern the people, this is the way we should be doing things. And so they were being led by God, and that was their form of government. 
their form of government was the priest told them what was going to happen and what was what was expected of them and this is the way you should go and 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 it was a good rule the way god ruled at that time when joshua came on the scene after moses died and he came into the promised land they were still governed by theocracy even though he was more of a of a military leader for them god was still using the priests but it was joshua who was now the overseer but as they started dividing the land the promised land there everybody had their own little rules but god was over all of it and they were still under a theocracy and they were still being governed by god using priests to represent god to the people they had they 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 had a tabernacle that's where god dwelt and they had the ark of the covenant which was the presence of god and so all the way through that time period god ruled now after joshua the nation of israel came into the time of the judges still under a theocracy god was using judges he used 12 judges in this time span of over 300 years to lead his people to rule over Israel. And so they were still under this theocracy. But several times in the book of Judges, especially this the last verse of the book of Judges, it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. because they didn't have a king they were doing things their own way and so several times in that book of judges even though god was still over them they were doing what was right in their own eyes on account of not having a king the nation of israel looked more like anarchy than a theocracy because they were doing their own thing and not listening to God. And if you know the book of Judges, you know that that uh, you know they'd get themselves in trouble, God would send a judge, he would take care of them and they would be like hallelujah, hallelujah, whatever, praise God, and then they'd go do their own thing and start worshiping other gods and get into trouble and then they come back and it's a a process that was going on. And sometimes you look at the book of Judges and you go, these guys are idiots. These guys don't get it. And then when you really start looking at it and then start looking at your own life you start thinking like why do I keep on doing the same dumb things? And it's like oh the nation of Israel did exactly the same thing. Except for there man God's presence was so amazing that you would think man if I saw that and yet you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you God God actually lives inside of you. He didn't do that in those peeps with those guys. And it's like, man, all of these things are there for our learning. <laughs> But the people wanted a monarchy. That's what they wanted. They wanted it to be like all the other nations who had kings. And they're going, "We want a king." And so from the time of Moses's death to the birth of Samuel, It's about 400 to 450 years in between that that God ruled over them and they were done with God in that sense. They were tired of being a monarchy. They wanted to be 
or they they were tired tired of having a theocracy. They wanted a monarchy. And even though they went through a time of trouble and rebellion and chastisement, understand that God was always in control. Even when they walked away, even when they rejected him, God was always in control. And so as we enter into a time of the monarchy of God, of of the monarchy, God is still in control. They're wanting a king, they're rejecting God, but all in all, God is in control. Even through the times of rebellion and chastisement that they will still go through, through the times of the kings, all of this serves as an example for us as believers today. Now, we may not understand or we may not always understand why God allows certain things to happen, especially when we're going through the Old Testament. I, I, you know, we, we, we look at the Old Testament, it's a time of grace. We look at the, the Old Testament, it was a time of the law. And God allowed certain things and we don't understand why. God dealt with things harshly and sometimes we're going, well, that's what they get. But all in all, we're not going to always understand why God does certain things, even when we're going through First and Second Samuel, why he allows this. But it doesn't mean that God is not in control still. He is always in control of every situation, whether you understand it or not. You see, he never asked us to understand it all. All he asked us to do is believe in him and to trust in him. That's all we got to do. Now, it's great to understand things. Don't get me wrong. But he never told us we had to understand why he does what he does. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. And sometimes it's like, I I, I don't know. People ask me some questions sometimes and I'm going like, I don't know why God does that. But we have the privilege of looking back at history. And it is truly his story throughout all of history. It is his story. And the Bible is one of the, the most amazing historical books that we have. And so um, we may not always get a clear-cut answer as to why, but what we have is that God's purpose will always be accomplished, even if we don't understand it. And so what I have to come to know throughout my life in the Old Testament and reading through the Old Testament is throughout the years is that God will use the good, the bad, and the ugly for his purpose. One way or another, he will use it because he never lets anything go to waste. And I want you to understand that for today because whatever you're going through, the good, the bad, and the ugly, maybe you're going through all of it (laughs) right now and you don't quite comprehend or understand why God is allowing it. But he will never let anything go to waste. So 1 Samuel chapter 1. We'll see if we get to verse 18, but verse 3 verses. And pardon me in advance if I don't get all these names correct. Just telling you. Now there was a certain man of Ramathim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram the son of Elihu, the son of Tuhu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. 
And he had two wives, and the name of the of the one, the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from this city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Now, we'll stop there for really quick because these three verses here set up the stage for all the characters, for some of the characters that we're going to see in the first, like, at least eight verse, uh, eight chapters. It sets the scene for us, and, and the places that, that we, we will see here also set the stage uh, of where this, this scene takes place. Ramathiam, Zophim, um, means two hills of the watchmen. And it is situated in the mountains of Ephraim, as it tells us here. And if you look in your maps, and you can do that anytime you want while we're studying here, the, the, the mountains of Ephraim, this mountain range spans just north of Jerusalem, and it goes all the way up to the plains of Jezreel. And, and you have like Mount Nebo and, and, uh, that, that kind of are in that place. And it's almost in, in the Valley of Megiddo. Megiddo would be closer to the sea, but the Valley of Megiddo was, is also like the plains of Jezreel. And so it's, it's south of the Sea of Galilee. So it's that whole region. And sometimes when we're looking at it, and especially in the, Old, in the New Testament, we would see that that would be like the Samaria area. And so the, the name of this city was also called Ramah. And we will see that name a lot more in this book that we're going to be going through um, because it's the place where Samuel was born. It's the place that Samuel lived and it is the place where Samuel was buried. In the New Testament, Rama is the sea of Arimathea, or the, sea, the, the city of Arimathea, where Joseph was from. And so Rama is not that far north of Jerusalem. Jerusalem we won't be talking about, but I might refer to it, but it hasn't gotten conquered yet. So it really doesn't even exist as we're reading this. Shiloh would be the, 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 the headquarters area. And so, but you're familiar with Jerusalem. Rama is just north of that, and it's at the at, at the at the south side of the mountains of Ephraim. And so, we see this place called Shiloh. This is where the tabernacle is now in place. At this time, the tabernacle is not mobile anymore, as it was before. It was like a mobile home. You can pick it up and take it, tear it down, move it. That's what happened, and you know, as as they built it, as they're going into the wilderness, um, they had it for a long time that was mobile, but it kind of landed in Shiloh, and now it, it is kind of set up there. They have other rooms attached to it now. It's not going to go anywhere, and so that's where when we talk about the tabernacle or the temple, because it, it, in some translations it can be temple. He's talking about Shiloh, and it is the tabernacle. But that is the central place of worship because Jerusalem is not in the picture yet. And so Shiloh now is about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. It doesn't seem far to us, but it was far to them. And so um, Ramah is about 15 miles north of Jerusalem. 
and, and it is also, again, situated in the mountains of Ephraim. Elkanah is one of the main figures here. Elkanah is called an Ephraimite, but he is a direct descendant of the Levites, of Levi the priests, through the son, through Levi's son, Korhath. And so we, we, we need to understand that because his son is going to play the role of a priest. And some people it's like, well, how does Samuel become a priest if he is an Ephraimite? Well, Elkanah, he had the lineage of Levi, but he was a resident of Ephraim. And so he was an Ephraimite. And so if you go into First Chronicles chapter 6, you will run across Elkanah many times and it gives you his lineage of how he came to be, you know, part of the priesthood. And so Elkanah doesn't seem to play any kind of role as a priest in his hometown or even in Shiloh. We don't get any of that. Uh, we won't see him after this chapter, but be that as it may, he doesn't seem like he has that role of a priest, but his son will play that role of a priest and they are from the lineage of Levi. Now, Elkanah had two wives. Now, it is, it, it, it is never or it was never God's plan that a man should have more than one wife. In the beginning, he created a male and female. And he says, you shall leave your mother and father and be joined to your wife, singular, not plural. I, I guess because God knew that man could never understand women. And so why would you have, want to have more than one? Right? Amen? It's like, why? It would be hard enough just to try to keep one, like uh, I, to understand one, but to have more than one. And some of these guys had more than two. It's like, are you nuts? <laughs> And I'm sure that God knew, I'm sure that God knew that there would be problems in marriage. And that's why, why would any man want to multiply his problems? <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 21 deals with this issue when he says, you know, he's talking about these guys. And if you capture some, pe some you know, people and you bring them in and you want to marry more of these ladies, he says, what will happen is you will love one and hate the other. There will always be this jealousy going on because women are wicked. And you cannot have two of them really. I, okay, I just got to share this with you. I go on campuses all the time. And I go on to Eagle Summit. And Eagle Summit is a small little school. And it's mostly boys because it's for, for the troublemakers. But oftentimes there's some girls that are there. And I'm not kidding you. If there's one girl in that classroom, everything's great. You get one more girl in that classroom, drama. Total drama. Because it, it, I'll move on. But Again, Deuteronomy 22 settles this issue. And he says, if you're going to do this, you will have more problems attached to this. And so 
This is one of those things that you will never maybe understand. Why did God allow it then? If he said from the beginning it should be one man and one wife, why is he okay with allowing men to have more than one wife? As we're reading through the scriptures, it was never his plan. But I don't understand that. That is one of those things I don't understand. And we might never get a clear-cut answer as to why. But this I do know. He used that even. If you really think about it, the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel come from four different women. You know, Abraham had Sarah, but then there was the, the, the Ethiopian woman or the, what was it? Egyptian, I'm sorry. She was someone in that continent. Um, you know, and, and, and so there was always this stuff that happened and God used all of it, even though we may not understand why, if, if that wasn't right, why did he allow it? I don't know. I, I really don't. But here's, here we see one of the reasons why a man should not take another wife. And that is because, or, or this is the reason why they would take another wife, um, because sometimes when they got married, the first wife could not have any children. She was barren. And so because of that, and because it was really important for the lineage to continue, they would often take another wife. And we see that with some of the four guys, the, the forefathers before Elkanah here, like uh, Abraham, who, you know, finally Sarah says, dude, it's not going to happen here. There's, there's, what's her name? I keep them. Hagar, thank you. There's Hagar. Take her as your wife. And he married her. He took her. And then, you know, later on he had other wives. But be that as it may. Um, again, that was one of the reasons because there was barrenness going on. Hannah more than likely was the first wife. And her name means grace. But she had no children. Peninnah, whose name means pearl, is the one that had all the children. really doesn't tell us how many she had, but she had a plethora of children. Now, even though the nation of Israel was still doing what was right in their own eyes, they were still going up to Shiloh at the appointed time to worship. Now, it was supposed to be three times a year a year that they would go up, but it was down to once a year that they would go yearly to go up there. And from the looks of the sons of Eli, the priest, Hophni, Hophni and uh, Phinehas, um, they had made a racket of this whole thing, as we're going to read later on, um, of how they they were just corrupt in many ways. We see in verse three the words, "The Lord of Hosts," and and it's important because it's it's mentioned in the Bible about two hundred forty five times throughout the 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 Old Testament, um, but this is the first time we see the Lord of Hosts. And in the Hebrew, it's Jehovah Shabbat. Um, the word host refers to a mass of persons, often related to armies, but not excluding angels. It is sometimes used in reference to the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the whole of creation as well, when it refers to Jehovah Shabbat or the Lord of hosts. But most of the time, it is related to battles and wars that the nation of Israel uh, had to battle and war in. And so the Lord of hosts would show up with his mighty armies, either to encourage 
the, the, the regular people or to bring in angels or to bring in the whatever he, if he had to use the whole of creation, he would come to their rescue. And so this just kind of shows that, that God will use his whole power if he needs to, to show up on your behalf because he is the Lord of hosts. And, 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 you know, even just a while ago as we were worshiping, as we were praying, and I was thinking, Lord, you are the Lord of hosts. Whenever we battle in life, whenever there's spiritual warfare or physical warfare, things like that, we can call upon the Lord of hosts. And we don't often use that term, but we should because he comes and he fights the battles for us. And so in verses 4 through 8, it says this, Then whenever the time... And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? I don't know why guys say stuff like that. <laughs> Trying to encourage his wife. You know, I know you're barren. You can't have kids. But isn't, look at this. Am I not better than 10 of those kids? And she's probably going, oh, honey. Just go outside. Go outside. Thank you so much. But this is a beautiful picture here of why it is not good to have more than one wife. And this is where their meanings really come into play. Now, you could say that Elkanah had pearls and grace accompanying him wherever he went. That, that he had these two beautiful things on, on, on each arm, pearl and grace. You know, he probably had little tattoos, you know, of a pearl. You know, stuff like that. You would say like, man, that's pretty awesome, you know. But in a few verses, we will see the character of both of them. Hannah's life is made miserable and it is no fault of her own. She didn't ask for this. She didn't want to be barren. But it tells us that the Lord closed her womb. It says it twice. The Lord was involved in this. And I know that we can often think about this and go, well, why didn't Elkanah kind of just wait on the Lord instead of taking on another wife and then causing some of this pain? But we're looking at this and saying, but it tells us here that the Lord closed her womb. Now, again, it doesn't say that it was closed forever. At that time, it was closed. And there was a lot of distress going on in her life her life was miserable because again god had done something that we don't understand why would you do that lord why wouldn't you just come and and free her of that because her life is miserable and this woman this other woman is the one that's making it miserable but here she is in a place where 
she is being taunted. She's being provoked by this other woman. And although we never hear that Hannah defended herself, she never repaid evil for evil against this woman who had all kinds of kids. Because she could have if she wanted to. I'm sure she could have been sarcastic and said, Hey, are those stretch marks I see there? (laughs) Hey, are you pregnant again? Oh, you're not. Oh, I'm sorry. She could have done stuff like that, right? Because women can do that. Okay, guys can do that too. But women can be mean to each other because this woman is being mean to her. She's provoking her. And yet, because this woman's name is Hannah and her characteristic is grace, she doesn't do that. This woman did not deserve to be treated nice, but we never hear that Hannah came after her. I don't know if she played her, paid her compliments or she just took it and, and, and just loved on her. I don't know, but her name is, is, is Grace. And she is exhibiting grace to this woman that did not deserve grace. But you never hear of Hannah barking back at her, going back at her, being sarcastic, being mean, doing anything. And yet this woman felt the freedom to make this, life, this woman's life miserable. Now, Pinina, more than likely, was a beautiful woman on the outside. She was a pearl. But she was an irritant on the inside. Because that's what pearls are made of, or is why they're made. When, when, when a little irritant thing comes into an oyster... The oyster begins to produce this little thing that just kind of surrounds the irritant. And it just keeps on surrounding it and surrounding it and surrounding it. And, and, and whatever it's made out of, it makes into a beautiful jewel that people like, right? On the outside, it looks amazing. People covet it. People love it. It's a beautiful thing. But on the inside, it's, it's an irritant. That irritant is still inside that pearl. It hasn't gone away. It can't escape. Because it closes it all in. And so Pinina is true to her name. She might have been beautiful, a knockout, whatever. But she was an ugly inside. She was an irritant inside. And she remained that. Hannah was much loved by Elkanah. And you would think that would, that would have been enough for her. Oh, I'm, you might have all the kids, but I'm the favorite wife. After all, wasn't Elkanah better than ten sons? Hmm. Now, even though Hannah's name meant grace, she felt disgraced because she couldn't give Elkanah a son. And then you had the mother of Pearl over there just not helping the matter. Now, even though it looks like Penina wins here, Hannah's the one that wins in the end. Because wherever there is Penina, Hannah abounds much more. In other words, where there is sin, grace abounds much more. I've known a lot of Hannahs in my life. (laughs) But I have yet to meet a Penina. And so, not too many young girls or girls are named Pinna. 
And so pearls may be nice. And there may be 12 gates of pearls in heaven. At the entrance of heaven. But it is grace and grace alone that allows us the privilege to enter into the throne room of grace. And it is grace that gets us into heaven. And I just, you know, as I was looking at this going, wow, Lord. Hannah, Hannah is the one that we remember most of all. Most people don't even remember Peninnah. It's like, Peninnah who? She was an irritant. Verses 8 or 9 through 18, it says, So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, Lord of hosts, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved. But her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought that she thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put away wine. Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord. I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider me, your maidservant, a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman left her way, or went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Going up to Shiloh should have been a time of rejoicing. Should have been a time of gladness and a time of celebration because it was a time of worship. And most often than not, that should be our attitude. <laughs> When it's time to come and worship corporately, like at that point, our hearts should be rejoicing, celebrating gladness to go. But what we see here is that sometimes we are in bitterness of soul and our hearts are in anguish. And it's hard to muster up any kind of joy or gladness. And it should never stop us from coming and praying and spending time with the Lord. But what I find interesting is that sometimes as Christians, we don't allow ourselves and we don't allow others for that matter to be in bitterness of soul. It's not that we shouldn't want to be there, be there in, in bitterness of soul and anguish. Because I don't think Hannah wanted to be 
in bitterness of soul. I don't think she wanted to feel that. But that's where she was at at that time of her life. And she couldn't put it away. She couldn't shake it off. She couldn't just like, okay, I'm just going to go and worship and just forget everything. She couldn't. But she knew that when she went, she knew that she was going to find a place and she was going to worship in prayer. She was going to pour herself out and she was just going to let the Lord do everything that He wanted to do in her life. I'm sure Elkanah wanted to make her feel better. It's like, why are you crying? Why are you sad? Why are you bummed out? Don't do that. And I like that about Elkanah because husbands try to fix things. And when our wives are bummed out, I mean, to me, that's the, that's the worst. When my wife is bummed or sad or something's going on in her life, I want to fix it in her. Because I don't like to see her that way. And I'm sure Elkanah was no different. Because husbands try and fix things. <laughs> or at least most husbands do. But he couldn't fix that. He couldn't fix what she was feeling. And then we see Eli the priest thinking that she's some kind of a drunk coming in, some kind of a wicked, wicked woman. She was in, a, in bitterness of soul, it says, and she was in a desperate place. And then the only other woman that was probably, that may have been in her life was making things worse. Now she had all these things coming against her, it seemed like. But even if everyone was on her side, even if everyone was trying to help her and come alongside of her. In reality, the only place that she could really, really, truly find comfort was with the Lord. And she had to be in this place of pouring herself out and nobody else could really help her. And guys, oftentimes, as much as we want to help each other, and we should, sometimes the only one that can truly minister to our hearts is the Lord. And I think that's sometimes the, the, the last time, the last place we go because we want everybody else and we come and tell. And, and guys, please don't misunderstand anything I'm going to say here. We often come here and it's like, Pastor, fix this. Or you go to your sister or another brother. It's like, this is what I'm going through. Fix it. Fix it for me. And even though everybody wants to come alongside, oftentimes it's only the Lord that could really and that's where you should have gone first and we're here to to prop you up and to help you here we have one person perpetuating the problem another one that's trying to fix the problem and another one that says you have a drinking problem it seemed like she couldn't win but she finds herself in the best place in the best place, man, because she is in bitterness of soul and she is in anguish. The sorrow that, that that's surrounding her, she has nowhere else to go, but man, oh man, she is in the best place. She goes to where God is and she is on her knees and she's crying out to Him. And I love the fact that as we read here, it says that she was she was praying or she, and she spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved. But a voice was not heard. And I, once again, I, I, as I'm, I'm looking at that, I'm going, Lord, all we have to do is just sigh. All we have to do is just like, ah. and you know what I mean from that. I don't even have to say a word, Lord. And you know, 
You know what I'm battling. You know what I'm struggling with. You know what I'm, 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 I'm fighting with. And I love that about the Lord. That He knows our hearts. He sees or He hears our hearts speak when there's nothing we can say. And I love that. Even though there's a man over there, the, the priest that's going, look at that crazy woman, man. Why is she coming in? It's this time of day and she's already drunk. You know, as I was thinking about that portion of, of, of how this, this priest got it wrong, I kind of was encouraged by it. I know it's kind of warped, but I'm kind of encouraged by it because we don't always get it right, guys. And I think sometimes you guys look at us and, and come to us and expect us to get everything right and to answer your prayers, and we can't. We can't be Jesus to you. I can point you to Jesus, but I can't be Jesus to you. I can't, I can't fulfill all your needs. I really, really can't. I want to. I want to do everything I possibly can for you, my people, because I love you, but I can't fix it. <laughs> and oftentimes I'm so bummed when, when, when there's situations going on in, in, in our church with my people, and I'm feeling like, Lord, I want to fix it. And he's going, just pray for them. And I'm going, I will, Lord, but... When they're hurting, when they're in my office, or when they're on the phone, I'm going, ah. It's not that we want to get it wrong. <laughs> I don't want, I hate getting it wrong. But I can't fix it. I can't always fix it. And I hope you never think that I will. I will point you in that direction. And that's about all I can do. If you've ever been in my office and we're counseling, I will point you back to Jesus and to his word and say, this is where you're going to find the help and the comfort you need. If God can use me, praise God, but I can't. I can't fix it for you. Now, Eli, <laughs> at, the, at the end here, I mean, I don't know if he, if he hurt her or he was just embarrassed because he had already gotten wrong. I don't know, but he says this, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And I thought, I don't know if that was his standard answer. Like, here, let me give you the little, go your way. I blew that one. I'll probably never see her again. But God, 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 God used that in this lady's life even. Even after he like, put away your wine, you drunkard. And then he says, she, you know, she pours out to him. And she finds comfort in that. And she takes it. And she's ministered to because it says in verse 18, she says, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went out her way and ate. And her face was no longer sad. Even if the pastor didn't get it right, the Lord ministered to her. He met her there. And it's interesting because as we'll see next week, God answers her prayer. She was pouring herself out. And I could guarantee you it wasn't the first time because she had gone there year after year. And I could guarantee you she had made these kinds of vows before. Lord, please give me this, this male child and I will give them to you. And I don't understand why God didn't answer her prayer the year before that. And I don't know why he didn't answer her prayer the year before that. I don't know. 
But sometimes He allows us and He lingers so that we can be on our face seeking Him. And I think oftentimes when people are going through things and they're going, gosh, I can't even pray. And, and I wake up and I'm going, God, what? And I'm going, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Who'd you just talk to? You just talked to God. And, and, and because oftentimes we're thinking like, I can't even. And yet we're constantly saying, Lord, help. Lord, help. And he already knows our hearts. He's already ministering to us because he was already at work. And he might have been at work for the last 15 years. I don't know in her life. And all this time, she was going through a lot. But I love the fact that she kept on showing grace. And that's, that's what I got out of this. She kept on showing grace to the people that were hurting her. I found a quote from John Bunyan that says, a prayer, In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. It is better... To have a heart without words than words without a heart. Guys, when we pray, sometimes just shut up and let the Lord speak through you as His Holy Spirit is in you, making those utterances, making those, those groanings that the Holy Spirit does and God saying, I see, I, I, I sense that, I know it, I hear it, I will answer and guys, I don't know what, what you're going through. I don't know what you're battling with. But right now we're going to sing that song. There'll be people up here for prayer. Some of the, like Pastor Gary and Craig and all you guys, you know, just make yourselves available. If, if people need prayer, come up and, and get prayer, guys. I know that you can sit right where you're at. You don't even have to move your lips and God knows it. But if you need somebody else to pray with, please don't hesitate, okay? Okay, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to our hearts, Lord God. Father, I thank you, Lord. I, I, I just pray that, Lord, you would just help me to do this book justice and all that you want for us and from us, Lord. God, we want to look to you, Lord God, because you know things even before it happens. Lord, again, Lord, as we kind of looked at the situation here, Lord, you used it all for your glory. And we might not understand why you didn't answer prayer before. But Lord, you were already at work. And sometimes you just want us flat out on our face, Lord. Not saying a word. Just being in your presence, Lord. Lord, thank you. Thank you once again for your word. Blessed be your name, for you are worthy to be praised, Lord. Lord, that we would magnify your name and glorify you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, guys. <laughs>